0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash ifreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 120 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen, Alondo Brewington. Hello, from
1: North Carolina.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week, we have a special guest. That's Chris Grant. Hi, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly?
2: Yeah, so my name's Chris. I work for a company called Genovi Controls in the UK who produce UI components for iOS and Android. Awesome.
0: Now, I was looking at the blog post that you had up on iOS 9. It was a day-by-day, so it looks like there are multiple articles here, but uh, the one that I was looking at was the Search APIs.
2: Yeah, so it's a series. Um, We're releasing a post to the day-by-day Day series every week. We've released nine so far, I believe, and there's at least four or five more coming. So if you're interested, just go to the and Controls blog and you can subscribe to the blog posts and they will... Each post just explains a new component from iOS 9, basically. Do
0: you want to give us a quick overview on the search APIs?
2: Yeah, sure. So in at WWDC this year... Apple introduced some new search API capability. Um, so that it, this is for integrating the Spotlight search results on your phone with your own application. So if you have an application that has searchable content, you can list that in Spotlight. And whenever a user types in a search term, it'll query your search entries and it'll display in Spotlight. And then that creates a deep link into your app. There's three different ways to do this. Um, The first way is with an NSUserActivity, and this is for things like the state that the user has previously been in in your app. Um, You can associate the the states in your app with metadata, and then that'll come up in Series Suggestions, which is another new feature of iOS 9. One of the others is Core Spotlight. So when you download some data into your app, um, you can index that data with Spotlight, and then that'll appear in Search as well. And then there's also... Web search functionality. So, if you have a website and that has, again, sort of searchable content, you can add metadata to your website. And Apple has its own crawling service now, so that Apple crawl your web URLs, so just like Google do for Google. And then you can index your website's searchable content in Spotlight as well. Um, so, there's really the three different components.
0: Yeah, it seems really interesting. So, with the user activity, are you just pushing stuff into the index, or is there more to it than that?
2: No, so the NS user activity is just pushing stuff into the index, as is Core Spotlight. The web markup stuff allows apps that mirror their content on a website um, in the spotlight, basically.
3: I know NS user activity was introduced in iOS 8 and in 10.10 for handoff, and it's the way you can make your iOS device handoff to a Mac app or whatever. So if you've already implemented that, so you've already, you've got a Mac app and an iOS app and you're doing handoff by publishing NS user activity in the iOS app, do you need to do anything extra now to support making the user activities searchable in Spotlight or is that something you sort of get for free if you've already implemented handoff?
2: I believe you get it for free, but you will want to associate metadata with that state as well. So previously you wouldn't have been associating like search terms with that state, but now you will want to do that so that the results are more accurate.
3: Right. Okay. So add, add a little more information, but it seems like it would be a pretty simple change if you've already started using NS user activity. And I actually have implemented this in an app and of course NS user the NS user activity APIs it's pretty simple,
2: pretty straightforward. There's not much to the APIs, to be honest, even the post spotlight APIs. If you take a look at the blog post, there's code examples and the code examples are no more than ten lines or think It's quite simple stuff for a developer's point of view.
3: So that was actually sort of my next question. I I do Mac development and I've written uh, Spotlight importers because Spotlight has been accessible to developers on the Mac for I think as long as it's existed, at least as long as I've been using it. And uh, the process for making your app's content indexable in Spotlight on the Mac is, I don't know if it's hard, but it's not super straightforward. Yet you, you have to write this importer that's really a plugin for Spotlight that it loads up to index your content. Does this new Core Spotlight API on iOS have anything in common with that, or have they sort of started from scratch and done something that is different and makes sense on iOS?
2: I haven't actually used the Mac version, but I think it's new. So all of the talk about this new stuff at WWDC was all about new stuff, and it's all designed to work nicely with Swift as well. Um, So all all you basically do is create an attribute set, and then just index the attribute set, and you get a completion handler for that with any errors that occurred. It's quite simple stuff.
0: When I'm looking at this, basically the functionality is, is I swipe down on my home screen or, you know, on the index where it shows all the apps. And then I type something in that I have told Core Spotlight is indexable, and then it'll show whatever that is in the search results.
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Yeah. And does it show up under search APIs? Because I think that might be a little confusing for regular listeners what your um, screenshot shows.
2: Yeah, that was just the name of the project. So that whatever oh, okay. your project or whatever your app is called, that's the name that appears. It's split in sections. Okay,
0: so I'll have a section for my awesome app. Yeah, correct. You
3: mentioned there's this web markup part of this where you can actually have content on your website indexed in Spotlight. I'm kind of curious about that. What's the use case and also... I mean, why do you think Apple's doing that? What's the benefit to users, and, and how does that all work, really?
2: In terms of the use case, I guess there's, there could be many, many use cases. It's basically just a way for Apple to provide better search results to, to a user, so the search result will have an image, and you can give it things like a rating as well. And just loads of different metadata that you can provide. It just means that instead of just getting a plain text web result, in the search, you get something a little bit more useful.
0: Well, one thing that I'm seeing here, though, is that it says it allows apps that mirror their content to a website to index their content on Spotlight. So not just anybody with a website can do this. You actually have to have an app that reflects that one way or the other. I think that is the case, yeah. Mm.
3: The whole point, though, right, is that this content that's on Spotlight or that's on the web that Spotlight is able to index has to be available in your app as well, right?
2: Somehow. Is that true? Yeah. So so if you had something like, say if you had an IMDB app and you search for a film, it could display on the web or it could display in the IMDB app as well. Oh, I see.
0: Basically, then if I look up some actor actress or TV show or something, it'll show both? Correct. Yeah. One thing that I did notice, though, was that it appears that you can actually have that work if you don't have the app installed. So if, if I don't have the IMDb app installed and I go search for Hugh Jackman or somebody, then it'll still show up in the search results, even though I don't have the IMDb app installed? Or do I have to have it installed on at least one
2: of my devices? No, you, you don't have to have it installed. And I personally think that is the biggest benefit for this, just to drive new app installs. I think that would be really, really big. So is
0: that generally the idea then, is that they tap that web result and it goes to the website and then i know imdb does this they actually have it so that they have a popover that says do you want to keep using the web or do you want to download the app
2: yeah and you can even with that you can create deep links so when you click to use the app then it will open what you search for which is which is really useful i think gotcha
0: so uh, you have deep links that take you back into the app to that particular piece of content
2: yeah hmm
3: That sort of brings me to my next question, which is obviously results in Spotlight are not that useful if they simply show up in a list and you can't really do anything else with them. And of course, existing on iOS 8 or going back to whenever they added Spotlight, if you click on a result, something actually happens. So what happens when the user taps on a result that is Spotlight content in your app indexed with one of these three ways we've talked about?
2: Again, it creates another deep link and you'll be able to get that information when when your app is opened. And you'll be able to do whatever you need to do to display the appropriate results inside of your app.
3: How hard is that to implement? And I guess specifically, how does the deep linking stuff work? So, what do you have to do to support these deep links into your app?
2: There's the application continue user activity delegate method on the app delegate, which is just where you get the information from, and the, the activity metadata comes through in a dictionary. And you can basically read that metadata and then do whatever you need to do in your app to display the appropriate view controller to display that result.
3: Okay, and off the top of my head, I think that's the same as how you deal with Handoff. Is that true or am I remembering
2: wrong? Yes, I think that's the same, yeah. Like I said, yeah, I I haven't actually used Handoff before, but from what I read, the API methods are the same, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: I kind of want to dig into Core Spotlight a little bit more and then go back to the web markup because I think it's interesting. But with the Core Spotlight, how do you decide what things you want to index in your application? Because obviously some things are just not going to be that useful to look up, whereas other things, if you have some kind of directory or some other functionality in your application, that might be really handy to link through to. So do you have some good guidelines for saying, index this, don't index
2: that? I haven't actually seen any guidelines provided by Apple for that. I guess it's just, like you say, if you've got a directory of information, then you can index all of that. Um, If you're just indexing stuff that isn't relevant, then a user will never tap it. And there is a section in the documentation about being a good citizen. Um, So if you create a load of search results and save them into Core Spotlight, then the user never taps on those. Um, Your app will actually be downranked by Apple. So it really matters on sort of getting good search results that people will actually click, rather than just spamming Core Spotlight and then nobody ever clicking your results because it will mean that your app is downranked and nobody will ever see your results.
0: So is it just the search results that are downranked? It doesn't affect you in the App
2: Store. Not in the App Store, but it will just affect your your search results. They'll appear below everything else, basically. Gotcha. In Spotlight.
0: And then I'm assuming it looks like you can put an image on this, so I'm assuming that's a good idea because people are more likely to tap something that has the image. I am wondering, does it default to the app's image if you don't hand it one, like you have this example on here with Ray and Becky, and they've got different images for the different people?
2: If you don't pass one through, just no image displays. I actually wrote this blog when beta 1 was out, and there was a bug where if you specified an image... It just didn't work, which was quite annoying. I spent ages trying to figure out why that was, but yeah, it was just a bug with beta one. And yeah, just if you don't display an image, then nothing is there, basically. It doesn't display your app icon or anything like that.
3: Have you actually implemented this? I guess for your day job, you work on components, right? Not apps, or is that not true?
2: Yeah, that's correct. But I did implement it, and there is a the source code is on GitHub, so you can download it and play around with it. You can find that, a link to that in the blog post. Oh, cool. The blog post only has the core spotlight code in though, So the NS user activity couldn't really think of a way to fit that into the app. And it was quite simple anyway. So the documentation is really simple for that. And then the web content, I didn't want to have to create a website and <laughs> have Apple index it and wait for that to happen. So yeah, I just focused on the core spotlight stuff in the code. I'm
3: looking at it now. It's nice and simple to easy to follow and... Well, it makes me happy because these APIs really do look pretty easy to deal with.
2: Most of the code in that blog post is setting up the data, parsing the data, and then displaying some basic UI. And the spotlight stuff is only a few lines.
1: Okay, so I wanted to take a a bit of a step back. As someone who's not really used a lot of the NSU user activity features or handoff in iOS 8, um, what are some prevalent use cases that you're seeing that people are going to be able to sort of take advantage of with the introduction of this API?
2: I think it'll just make finding stuff in your app a lot easier. So if a user has to launch your app, go to the search section and then type in what they want, it's a lot more complicated than having to just pull down Spotlight and then doing it from there. And it means if the user doesn't know what your app can display this kind of information, they can just pull it down and search for it. And I think that's really going to help with engagement rates and install rates as well.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking is just... You know, if you're looking for your friend, you know, let's say that I have Alondo as a contact in Skype, and I also have him as a contact in my phone. I have him on Twitter, and I have him in a few other places. So if I do a search for Alondo, then it'll give me all of those different options. And so it'll show your Twitter account, it'll show your phone number, it'll show your email, it'll show, you know. And so then I have all of these different ways of communicating with you, Alondo, by doing a search for your name and okay. it'll take me into the correct context for that. I can see that as being a very handy way of managing things. Okay. I really want to dig into this uh web content stuff. I most of my work is web development. I do a little bit of mobile, but I do a lot of web stuff. And one thing that occurs to me is so adding support for universal links. I'm just browsing the documentation is you create an Apple app site association file that contains JSON that tells it which URLs your app can handle. And that way It can make that association. However, so once you have an app in the app store, then it gets indexed, and then you don't need the app installed after that?
2: Yeah, I believe it uses the marketing and support URLs to find out where to index. And there is a tool as well which lets you validate whatever's on your website before you submit your app. Um, So you can check that the metadata for this kind of thing. is all valid.
0: You know, I have several podcasts. Between all the shows, we've probably recorded pretty close to... 800 ish episodes of different podcasts and different things. And so I'm wondering if I could get away with submitting an app to the app store that has minimal functionality and yet has this Apple app site association set up. So it's all linked up to my web page. And then essentially I get search capabilities for free. So if somebody gets in and searches for, you know, JavaScript or, you know, they search for iOS or they search for iOS 9 search functionality, it would pull up this episode, even though I don't necessarily have that information showing in my app yet.
2: I'm not sure on that. I'm not sure how Apple would see that from a review point of view. But certainly you could try and do that. And I think even if the app did have some functionality, then that would probably be okay.
0: I mean, it's definitely a discoverability thing that I think, you know, could pay off for content creators.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think that's the big thing about this. It's discoverability and it's being able to find things that these have seen in previous iOS versions.
3: Is there anything about this new functionality in iOS 9 that's missing that you'd like to see in a future version? Sometimes an API comes out and you just kind of really quickly can understand its shortcomings and hope that they're going to have something in iOS 10 to address them. Is this pretty complete or do you think they're going to continue working on this?
2: So, in terms of Core Spotlight, There's there's not much that I think you could add. I mean, Spotlight itself is not that complicated in terms of from a user point of view. So you just want the results there and you can provide the metadata for that already. The the web content stuff, I'm, I'm not quite sure how that works. I haven't actually used that API yet, but it looks pretty complete from the documentation that I've read. There's nothing that really stood out to me as being something that I thought, oh, it's, it's definitely missing that. It seemed pretty complete, to be honest.
3: Well, that's good news. On the Mac on Spotlight, a lot of what you have to do to implement Spotlight search of your own app's content is just telling Spotlight how to read, you know, your proprietary files or any or whatever. But then Spotlight goes out and actually indexes your files. And your app doesn't do anything to tell Spotlight about content ex- other than providing this, you know, importer for it to be able to read your files. It seems like with Core Spotlight, the model is, is different and, and your app is responsible for pushing data into Spotlight. Is there some sort of place in like the app lifecycle where you're supposed to do that? Or have I gotten it all wrong?
2: No, that's correct. There's not a particular place that it's recommended to do that. Obviously, the core spotlight index and stuff is done on a background thread, and you just get a completion block when that finishes. So you can basically do it whenever you get the data, and it, it shouldn't slow you up down that much.
0: I'm also curious about testing. Is there a way to put unit tests around this or do you just wind up setting up some kind of mock or fake around the core spotlight and then you know just make sure you're calling into it with the right metadata
2: yeah i mean that's probably the only testing that you can do to be honest there's not a lot of api to test and the api that is there's apple's api and you probably don't want to be testing that you can just assume that that works
0: let's say that you are taking advantage of some of the other APIs that Apple provides. So I see here, and I'm just going to give another shout out to one of your day by day articles, and that is uh, the contacts framework. So let's say that you call into the contacts framework to get information and then you provide some other functionality or, you know, additional data for contacts in your app. Can you index on the information that you kind of share or pull from another service?
2: Yeah, I believe so. So you can index basically anything that you want. Like I said, it's important to be a good citizen because if no one taps your search results, in, then we'll get moved to the bottom. But yeah, it's basically up to you and you can index anything that you want.
3: Yeah, I was actually going to say I want to hear about Chris's work at Shinobi. Oh,
2: but there we go. Same here. <laughs> yeah, I've just been working on the charts for the past year. Um, so we do iOS charts um, and they're all high performance. Um, we're not OpenGL. And yeah, I'm just part of the development team who works on the charts, basically.
3: I think this is pretty cool because I think most of us iOS developers work on apps, but I actually really enjoy working on libraries or APIs. Of course, there are people at at Apple who work on APIs full time, but I don't think there are a whole lot of third party companies, non-Apple companies that make their living doing libraries. So I think this is a pretty cool thing that you guys get to work on. And I sort of wonder what you think about being able to work on something that supports other developers this way rather than just
2: apps. So I've worked on apps before I started working on the charts. Um, But yeah, it is really good to be able to work on an API and kind of help a developer and think, if I was a user, how how would I want this API to work? And we do try and mirror the sort of Apple style as much as possible when it comes to the API. So to provide the data for the chart, it's very similar to providing cells to a table view, for example. So it's just a lot of things like that we find really help the developers.
0: Is there a particular portion of the code that you work in that you like working on more than others?
2: The OpenGL itself is quite complicated. <laughs> we kind of have one or two guys who know a lot about that. I prefer to work on sort of the developer-level APIs. It just kind of helps you to get a better overview of the system. But everybody does work on every part of the, the library. It's not like we'll kind of try to share knowledge as much as possible. We don't sort of have role in certain areas of the code that each one of us works on.
0: Now, do you just work on the charts or do you work on some of the other products as well?
2: I just work on the charts at the minute, but I've worked on the other other products as well, like the grids and the forms and stuff like that and the calendars and the essentials as well. So yeah, we'll kind of all chip in for everything basically. We just find that that helps to get a better overview. So The more people who look at it, the more developers who look at it, the more rounded we believe that it is.
0: I don't shy away from uh, allowing people to kind of talk about the products that they work on. Can you kind of give an overview of what products Shinobi Controls offers and who they're for?
2: Basically, we try and just be for anybody who wants a chart in their map. So that's what the charts does. If you want to write your own chart and framework it would take a very long time. (laughs) It's taken us a very long time to develop Shinobi. So especially with the level of performance that we've achieved with the charts, so you can have hundreds of thousands of data points and not notice a decrease in performance at all and get 60 frames a second. So yeah, we'll just try and be the number one provider for charts, basically. Um, And then the other components, again, the same kind of thing, high-performance components that it would take developers a long time to write themselves. Which makes it easier and a lot cheaper to just buy a solution from us than write it yourself, basically. Yep. Yeah, a lot
0: of times, the time is the constraint, not money. So.
2: Yeah, correct. We find that quite a lot. That people have tight deadlines and they need to use our charts quite quickly to achieve what they need for the first release, basically.
0: So, do you want to walk us really quickly through this day-by-day blog series that you've written?
2: Yeah. So Shinobi's done this day-by-day series for the past three years now, I believe. So we did one for iOS 7, we did one for iOS 8 as well, and they were both really well-received. So I was approaching us to do the iOS 9 one this year, and basically what it involved was me spending a lot of time watching all the videos from WWDC, um, kind of picking out the interesting parts that people would find useful, and the parts that people would find difficult to implement themselves as well, um, without an example, and then going away and writing an article on each topic. So there's things like the search APIs, the user interface testing, the new storyboard references, stack views, new code coverage tools in Xcode, multitasking. So not multitasking in terms of multi-threaded applications, but how you can display multiple apps alongside each other on iPad, on iOS 9, and then contacts frameworks. And the latest one was Apple Pay which I think is going to be a really big one. And then in the future, we've got a couple coming up with the new Gameplay Kit APIs. And yeah, I'm working on the one about cloud kit at the moment. So hopefully that'll be out soon. Um, so yeah, it's essentially just topics that developers would find useful to have an example for. That's what we've been trying to achieve. So having looked at all of these
0: different features that are upcoming in iOS 9, uh, what recommendations do you make to developers who are looking at updating applications that they've written for iOS 8? so that they'll work well in iOS 9?
2: Obviously, it's very dependent on the application that you have, but I think the change that everybody's going to need to at least test is for the multitasking stuff. So if you you will have never seen your app at half the size of an iPad, for example. So if somebody opens your app on iOS 9 release day and has a newer iPad and they put that alongside another app, like what is going to happen for them? So you need to at least test that and ensure that you're using sort of constraints and um, a responsive UI rather than just hard layouts know, based on the screen size. Um, so that that is going to be a big change.
3: I know that's something that there's an app that I work on. I'm getting ready to, finally getting ready to update for iOS 9. I'm a little late getting to it, but that seems like one of the biggest things I need to do is make sure that it works well on, a, on an iPad in split-screen mode because it's not something I had planned for at all until that feature was announced.
2: Yeah, I mean... It was quite a shock to me, to be honest, but it is something that you need to test, and there's, there's no reason why you can't release an update to your app now. So, if you use the new iOS 9 simulator to, to test your app to see if it works alongside each other with other apps, then you can release it as in, with the old version of Xcode as long as you don't have any new API, and then you just check that the UI layout constraints are working as expected.
3: Yeah, because it's not actually a new thing, exactly. It's just, obviously, part of why they wanted everyone to use auto layout was so that would work, right?
2: Yeah, they've been recommending it for a while, so people probably should have been using it. But we know that's not always the case in real life, unfortunately.
0: All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Alondo, do you want to start us off with picks?
1: Sure. So, I have... One pick that's a general kind of thing, I participated in a hackathon past weekend, and uh, this is the third year that I've done it with a couple of people from a friend of mine from the Greenville, South Carolina Cocoa House chapter, and uh, I highly recommend it. I mean, it was a great opportunity for me to sort of Right in Swift, which I don't get to do on a daily basis at work because we're still doing Objective-C. And so it was just total dedicated time. Uh, we built a watch app. So, again, it was a great opportunity to explore sort of a new API. And if you have an opportunity to do something like that in your area, I highly recommend it. Not necessarily about winning or anything like that. I just think it's a good experience to have. So hackathons. The second pick is a tool that we've been using recently at work for communication called Flock. We were looking for a way to replace our email standup, uh, which was just kind of getting a little harder to keep track of with a bunch of replies and updates and whatnot. But Flock actually allows us to sort of centralize all that information. Um, there is a mobile app, but there's a web page as well that allows us to update our statuses during the day and also just see what other people on the team are working on so we can sort of stay abreast of what's happening. So that is my second pick this week. Flock. Hey,
0: All right. Andrew, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I have two picks
3: today. Neither of them is really iOS related at all, but they're things that I think are cool. So I'm going to pick them anyway. The first one is when I was a kid, I played a game called Commander Keen that was quite a popular game on DOS made by id Software before they kind of just started only making shooting games. And anyway, there was this weird sequel for Commander Keen called Keen Dreams, and I can't remember the whole story, but it was sort of published by a different company, and it was sort of like the odd one out in the game series. But that game, Keen Dreams, has been open-sourced, so you can get the source code for the game on GitHub. And I have not actually tried to build it. It seems like it's a little bit of a process because it's written in Borland C++, or for Borland C++ 2.0, and it's probably a bit of work to get it working, but I just think it's cool that it's out there and open-source. And then my second pick is a program called 123D Design. It's actually made by Autodesk, the company that makes AutoCAD, but it's free. I think they have some subscription option where you get cloud storage or something like that, but it's basically completely full-featured, even in the free version, and it's for doing 3D modeling, 3D design, And the reason I am picking it is because it's pretty easy to just pick up and get started, but it's not so limited that you can't do real stuff with it. And it's particularly got features that are cool for 3D printing, which is something I've been doing a little bit of lately. It's my, of the programs I've tried for doing this, and there are quite a few out there. This is the one that I like the best. So one two three 3D design by Autodesk. And those are my picks.
0: Awesome. I've got one or two things that I'm going to throw out here. Uh, One is kind of a tease. We are working on putting together a React Native podcast myself and a few other folks. It's going to be on devchat.tv. React Native is a way of writing native applications for mobile devices with React, which is a JavaScript framework. So if you're interested in that, then keep your ears peeled. Follow me on Twitter and get word out about that. It's probably going to release at the end of this month, this month being September 2015, and it'll be at uh, reactnativeradio.com. But if you go to that domain right now, I don't think it'll take you anywhere. But yeah, just keep an ear out for that, and we'll be doing that. One other thing is is that I have been connecting with listeners from all of the shows, and I know that I announced this before, but if you go to ifreakshow.com slash 15 minutes, that's one five minutes, then you can get 15 minutes on my calendar to give me feedback on the shows and talk about who you are and stuff like that. I've been enjoying as much getting to know the people on the other end of the podcast as I have been getting the feedback on the shows and figuring out what people like and what makes them tick. So, anyway, just go check that out. And finally, I've kind of had this guilty pleasure. I just finished Season 3 of Orphan Black, and so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's been kind of a fun show to watch. So, yeah, those are my picks. Chris, do you have some picks for us? I've got a pick.
2: It's called Fastlane. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but it's basically a way to automate the iOS development, deployment. So, there's many tools in the Fastlane suite. And they're all really useful. So there's tools to help build your app, tools to help deploy your app, test flight, tools to manage your provision and profiles for you. And my personal favorite one is a tool called Snapshot. And that automates taking the screenshots for your application. So in the past, if you had an app that worked in multiple languages and it supported iPad and all the different iPhones, then it would take you hours and hours to create the relevant screenshots for your app. This lets you automate everything with a script. And yeah, it's basically a really useful tool and it saves me a lot of time when doing that app development. Um, I'll post a link. Yeah, so I'd recommend that anyone doing iOS app development with um, apps in the App Store use this tool. It's really useful.
0: All right. Well, if people want to follow up, see what you're working on or learn more about Shinobi Controls, what are the best ways to do that?
2: You can follow Shinobi Controls on Twitter. The username is just Shinobi Controls. You can follow me on Twitter, my username is Grant. Yeah, so it's best to follow on Twitter and i post regular updates on what I'm doing and what you're doing on there.
0: All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for coming and we'll catch everyone next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakshow.com slash forum.